men and women together resemble and are the image of God on earth. Male and female is the greatest image of God on earth. And, and when God created male, men and women, they walked in the garden and he, 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 he talked with them. And he basically created them as company, as community. And he said to man, he brought all the animals to him and said, what would you like to name this? And God didn't name the animals, man did. And he just, because he loves to do that. It's like, you know, again, you have children and you like to do things with them. What do you want to call this? What do you want to do with that? And that was how God, that was the heart of God for creation, for your life and for my life, would be safety, intimacy, joy, company, and love. And it didn't take long before that got broken. And that's why human beings live and walk with limps. They, you live and walk in a way that is um, not complete. There are things in you that are not what they ought to be. And there are longings in you that never seem to get met. It's all symbols of our need for restoration. And in the world and, and in which we live, all those things that cause us to live out our desires, to find meaning in other places other than God, are clues as to how broken we've become. And we've become so broken that even when God offers himself to us, we don't trust him. And so we, call, we blame him for our dysfunction and then we, we act out. But we're all trying to get back to that Eden. We're trying to get back to that place. We're looking for that place of safety. And because many people can't find it, they numb out themselves with drugs and all kinds of behaviors because they can't cope with the pain of not having it fulfilled. And we're all on a sort of graded scheme of that. There's always a, um, an image in the physical of the supernatural. So when God creates, he takes, um, I, I say he takes 20, you, you know, our bodies are 80% what? They're 80% water. So that leaves 20% stuff. So I guess God takes a handful, 20% of dust, and he adds water. And there's you and me. And what if in the fall, when, when we were separated from God, we lost 80%? And our whole lives are spent trying to make 20% do. And when Jesus came into the world, he demonstrated what it looked like for that 80% to be re uh, ignited. You guys better finish unwrapping whatever you want to eat because it's making a noise and I want some of it. <clears throat> so what happens if you get the 80%? <laughs> the 80%, which is spirit. And the kingdom of God is spirit. And he says, if you actually get 80% of spirit into your 20%, you will be alive. And so Christian means somebody who's discovered the source of the 80% that's missing. And there's no other place to find it other than in Jesus. Thank you. That's right. So there's a phrase, you know, we, we, I listened to a guy called, what's his name? Oh, I keep forgetting his name. He's very well known. Um, down in California, he's a sort of Asian guy. You'll know him. Francis Chan, yeah. And we were watching a clip the other day, which I wish I had here, but I'm going to show you some others. But 
One of the things we can do is we can hear about God and we can know all the words, but we actually don't know him. And he was giving this example of saying, you know, his nine-year-old daughter, um, he said, uh, <clears throat> you know, go and clean your room. And she, he said, she didn't come back in three hours say, I've memorized your word. I can say it in Greek. And my friends are gathering together because we're going to study what going to clean your room might look like. You following what this means? I read the Bible. I quote the scriptures. I just never do anything. In Hebrews chapter 4 verse 2, it says you've heard the word, but you didn't actually receive it because you didn't mix it with faith. Faith is taking the word and acting on it, believing it to be true. So one of the word that's going to be spoken this morning is God loves you unconditionally. So the way you receive that in faith is thank you. I'm going to live out of that promise until I feel it. So I want to introduce you to this guy who's the artist here. His name's Charles uh, Maxey. He's an eccentric. If you want to put him up there, you know, so we can see him, which means enlarge it. Whenever you're ready, that's fine. Charles Magassi, uh, he spoke at Holy Trinity Brompton. Uh, you might have to redo it because I don't know why it does that. Jean, I'll just keep talking, so you better pray for her to do it. Um, he's, a, he's, he's an artist who became a Christian probably 20 years, over 20 years ago. He's a totally eccentric, but an amazing guy. He speaks at a lot of their Alpha courses. And... Uh, <clears throat> and um, well, try it and see what happens. Okay, stop it now. There you go. Stop it. That's cool. Just leave it there for a minute. You see, he's, I mean, he's, he's crazy. He's hair, hair, his hair is wild, and he's in this you know, evangelical church in England, which they don't... If you see Nicky Gumbel and him, I mean, you can't get two different people. So this is a great legitimacy for those of us who don't want to be conformists. Um, and he's, he's, he, he painted these two pictures and he gave a talk. And when I heard him speaking, I just thought, this is so much of what we want to be as a church. And I can't say it like he can say it. So he started off, because we're going six minutes into his talk. He started off by talking about why is it that we always have to put up front? And uh, why is it that we always have to, we just can't be ourselves? And he gave this rather crude example of he was out one night and, or one early one morning and he needed to go to the washroom and he, it was locked and so he went, he was in one of the Hyde Park type of places. So he went in the bushes and he gets out and he says, the first person I see when I come out, I've got leaves all over me is, is, uh, is my vicar. And he says, what are you doing here? And he says, oh, I'm just meeting a friend. And he was just using it. Why can't I just say, well, I was relieving myself in the washroom, you know? It was a silly example, but I'm just setting up. He's talking about how do we actually just be authentic. And what I want to demonstrate and show you here in terms of restoration is he tells about how he got restored briefly. But I want to see you to see here just somebody who's not trying to be somebody he's not. And the power of that. And ultimately, the greatest gift and the power that you have is to be you and share who you are with others. You don't need a program. To share Jesus, for instance. You just share what you have. See what he's, what he's saying. He's, he's going to talk to us for a while. Um, and so I just go, no, I don't want to be fake. I don't want rules. Therefore, it's a waste of time. I, I, you, have sort of, you have these salient moments, these, these moments which hit you. My big moment was quite quiet. 
and it was in South Africa. I was, I was painting in South Africa, and I was staying in a house. And in this house, I was working all day, was a lady called Lendiwe. Lendiwe had just lost her son, had just been shot in, in Kailicha Township, three days before. And she was busy around the house, and she was humming a lot. And occasionally her humming would turn into words. And this is all day, on and off all day. And the first song, this is quite a long time ago, she sang was a baby song, and it went like this. When the storm rolls, when the storm rolls, when the storm rolls all around. And she'd sing that, and then hum it a bit more. And then, and then I heard the words, He is strong, and I am weak. By his might, hold on tight. When the storm rolls, when the storm... And she's cleaning. And I was thinking, whoa, who's she singing about? And then a few hours later, I was in the same house, and I heard us humming again, and she was humming a different tune. And then the words for this tune were, Jesus' love is very wonderful. Jesus' love is very wonderful. Jesus. And I was listening to her, and I said to her at the end of the day, Lendira, um, I, I like hearing you sing. And she sort of smiled at me. I said, those songs you were singing, they were like Goddy songs, weren't they? And she just <laughs> smiled at me. And I, I said, do you think he's there? And she said, yeah. And I, well, I said, even though Stephen's just been shot? And she said, yeah, even more so. And she kind of inadvertently led me to faith in Jesus. Not to Christianity. I shouldn't convert me. I don't know what convert means. It's a weird word. She, she introduced me to this gentle person that she leant on. And when I watched her singing, I had this kind of, I could summarize what she was doing with an image. Can we have that image? She was lying on something that I didn't have to lie on. I didn't lie on anything. She asked me, where do you go in times of trouble? And I said, well, just the pub. It's what we do, isn't it? And she was doing something. She, her, her, Stephen's had have been blown off. She was doing something that was utterly practical. And so I guess it, that was my huge, you know, a lot of my arguments were destroyed just by listening to her sing two children's songs with meaning. And it, I'm not saying, I'm standing here saying that I now think it's no longer a mystery. I think it's an utter mystery. But what I've learned is this. If I could describe to you in one word what she had and what it is, it is love. That's it. We dress things around in big, strange, build strange buildings and have weird songs. It is love. And it's a person who didn't come to judge you, but to save you. He's not a cosmic policeman. He just had a hard time with people who were self-appointed moral policemen. And so I started talking to him, and I thought it was profound and exciting, and occasionally would have this gentle experience of him. And Spufford, again, if you want to read a great book, read Unapologetic. It's a really good book. He said this, of Jesus, or his presence. It's something so elusive, you can't securely put your finger on it. And yet at the same time, it's so strongly felt when it is felt that it illuminates the world and reorganizes the life. It's elusive, and it's a foundation. It's a wisp of a presence as deniable as vapor, which you feel is holding the house up. It's a presence which may well not be there, but which can draw out of you when you feel it, a trust that is a thing which precedes all things, us included, that it's first and last and largest and lowest, that it exists without terms and conditions, that you can come to it in need and know that you're forgiven 
and that it shines. I remember reading that over. I love that paragraph. I don't know if you've ever been in trouble or been disgraced. I think the word disgrace is odd. It's an oxymoron. I don't really understand how you can be disgraced. Grace is grace. You can't diss it. But anyway, let's use that word disgraced. He was disgraced. He came to my house a lot for a while. And he was in what Lendira would call a storm that was rolling big time. And in my garden, where I paint, I had a few of these. And he walked past this. It's a prison door from the 1800s. It was, it was a cell door from 1800 to 1900. And he stopped and he stared at it. It was covered in leaves and said, what is this? I said, it's a cell door from the 1800s. And he said, oh my gosh. And he, and he started looking. He said, look at this hole. Look at this hole. And he looked through it. And he, and he said, is that what they look at you through? And I said, yeah. He said, that's how I feel. He said, I just feel like everyone's staring at me through that and judging me. And we talked about that for a long time. And I said, you know, and he said, actually, I think it's how a lot of human... We, we, he, came for, he, he, he came often. And he said, I think it's how a lot of human beings feel. Um, sort of hemmed in and looked at and judged and a bit cut off. Uh, and... and you know, we had these long conversations about it. And, and I said, so people feel that about you. What about God? How does he feel about you? And he laughed at my face and said, what God? Which God? <laughs> Lots of them. And uh, I said, yeah, that's true. Um, he said, if you, if you want an honest answer, I'd probably say he hates me. If he exists. And he's staring at me through that hole. And I'm trapped. What do you think, Charlie? What God thinks of me? And I said, well, my favorite sentence, one of my favorite sentences ever written anywhere is in the New Testament, and it says this, a lot of men and women of doubtful reputation were hanging around Jesus. And he said, does it say that? Yes, it doesn't say a lot of men and women who are really good and never use the F word were hanging around Jesus. And he sort of sat, I remember him sitting down and saying, and we, we chatted about it. And he said, what were they attracted to then? Not religion, were they? What were they attracted to? Why? And we kind of concluded this, okay, his cupboard door, if you like, that he presented had been blown off to reveal that. Full view, his skeleton, which we all have. Hidden. I have them. My cupboard's bulging with skeletons. And we concluded that Jesus knew their skeletons and didn't count them against them and didn't condemn them and that he was full of grace and loved them. As Oscar Wilde puts it, with Jesus, the ugliness of their sin is taken away from them. And we sat down, remember him drinking tea, and just said, that sounds pretty good. It's not like a prison door then. It's kind of the opposite. So when he came back, I have a few of these doors. I did, on, on the next door, um, I defaced it. And I did this. Over the hole. He said, why have you done that? 
And I said, well, this, without this, we're all screwed. All of us. He said, that is the emblem of grace through which you're looked at unblemished. I don't care whether you're in the worst trouble or none at all, whether you're super good or you're in, like him, utter disgrace. That counts. And that's my big discovery about Christianity is not that it's a whole system of rules, but it's a system of grace. The church is an agency of grace. That is grace. It's what he did for you and I. And through it, you're seen, un- you're seen clean. It's the greatest thing in the world. And he said, well, that sounds... Again, he was, he was quite excited about that. Um, and I read to him this paragraph, one of my fa- if you, another great book is called Cannery Row by John Steinbeck, great 20th century writer. He wrote this, and I've kind of edited it because it's because there are children here. Um, it goes, it's Cannery Row is a poem, a stink, a grating noise. Its inhabitants are, as the man once said, whores, pimps, and gamblers, by which he meant everybody. Had the man looked through another peephole, he might have said saints and angels and martyrs and holy men, and he would have meant the same thing. And I said to him, really, this is the peephole of grace through which you're viewed through the cross. And if you feel inferior here and you come to church and you see super shiny people, we're not as shiny as we appear. We all need this window of grace, all of us. We're all cupboards with skeletons in, I think. And I would say, if this building looks like something, I would describe it as a bucket, if you like. And it's a, it's a bucket, it's a grace bucket, but it can be, appear to be a kind of ornate, moralizing soapbox from which I stand and tell you how to be good. I'm not good. This is what it's about. Period. And that is love. Right there. When he came back again, I defaced the door yet again. And um, <laughs> I did it for him. It's not really finished. It's a, maybe an image you've seen already. But um, it's, it's that. Um, can we have that? Yeah, so I just painted an embrace on there. And he said, oh, that's a hug. I like hugs. <laughs> I said, so do I. And uh, he said, what is it? And I said, well, that's, that's actually a, a, a painting of the beginning of the story of the prodigal son. In the middle of the story of the prodigal son. You've heard the story. He said, well, I vaguely... And I said, do you want to know what the story starts with? The first sentence, in the verse, verse 1 of that chapter. He said, what is it? It's this. A lot of men and women of doubtful reputation were hanging around Jesus. <laughs> he said, oh, that's good. And then it says, and they were listening intently. Then it says, the Pharisees and religion scholars were not pleased at all. They growled, he takes in sinners and eats meals with them, treating them like old friends. How do you feel about that? He said, good. <laughs> and their grumbling triggered this story. And really, I, you know, explain the story. Basically, it's a, it's a lost son who's in disgrace. Silly word. And my favorite bit, one of them is the father sees him from a long way, sees him through the peephole, through the eyes of grace, sees him and runs to him and embraces him. And embraces him over and over. It's a present participle. He hugs him and hugs him and hugs him. How does that feel? He said, it feels good. It's just love. And I don't know if you've ever, you know, seen or felt the penny of grace drop in your system. But I watched it drop in him. 
And I've watched it, and it's the greatest privilege I've ever had in my entire life. For me, the penny of grace has taken a long time because I don't forgive myself very well. He just suddenly got it, and his face just, just split open when he realized that he was forgiven and he was okay and that he was free and that he was loved and he was known and his skeletons were dissolved and he was free to go. That's Christianity. I thought it was a judgment that made you feel crap. So I would say, if you ever forget what it's about, remember there's a prison door. You'll forget this talk. A prison door with a peephole where you feel judged and there's a crossover. It says, no, you're not. You're forgiven. Remember that. It's a good thing to remember. Um, my neighbor, my lovely neighbor, who has a, what you might call an erratic existence, um, colorful existence, who I adore, we talk a lot. He said to me the other day that he was, he was down in Brixton near the tube station. And uh, it was three in the morning. He said, I was in the cafe. And he said, there was a girl there. She was definitely in the sex industry. I could tell she was 16. And she was looking lost. And I thought what I'd do is I'd go up to her and I'd give her a big hug. So I went up to her and I just stopped her as she's leaving and I just said, you look like you could do with this. And he said, I put my arms around her and I just held her. She's about 16, 17 years old. But my arms and held her and said, you're all right, you're all right. And then he said, I felt this grip on the back of my head. I was dragged out of the cafe and I, they beat, the two pimps beat me up. So what you, it's what you get if you hug someone, isn't it, Charlie? And I said to him, you know, Paul, that's kind of like a story Jesus would tell. And he sort of laughed in my face and said, no, he wouldn't. He said, Jesus would never include me in a story. He might involve her, but not me. And I said, why not? And he said, well, I'm not that sort of mold, am I, Charlie? I'm not the right mold, am I, for Jesus? I said, what mold do you think Jesus requires of you? He said, I'm not, you know, churchy mold. I do things. So do I, Paul. And we concluded, actually, well, I tried to tell him that the mold is anything that God has made and he has made you. It's a human shape. That's the mold. And in the doorway of this church, we've got, a, um, we've got an- another embrace. It's a bronze at the door. And I think, you know, we have doors, like we have cupboard doors, we have prison doors, we have church doors. This church door is wide open for you, whoever you are, whatever you are. It's, 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 there's no mold that you should fit. Thank you. So please come and stay and come again and again. But the other door that I'm aware of within me is the hardest door of all, and it's the door of my heart. And I'm a very arrogant, self-willed, closed person. And it's taken me a long time to continually open the door of grace to me. And, but when I do, and I have the temerity to do it, when I manage it, it it's, it's the most beautiful thing. But I'm cold. So I would say to Jesus, and the incredible line where Jesus I stand at the door and knock if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. And the question I always had when I read that was, what is he like? I'll tell you what he's like. A lot of people of doubtful reputation were hanging around him because he's good. My reputation has been scarred continually. Thank God I don't have to rely on that. Thank you. And his grace pervades if you just say yes. Isn't that cool? Powerful? That's an ordinary person sharing his heart. His neighbor was gay and so said, I would never be accepted. 
And God is calling us as a church, restoration is about us getting restored so we actually can spill out and help others. And the book that they want to read is you. Share your life, share your skeleton, share how Jesus touched you like he was down in South Africa 25 years ago and here's this girl singing, Jesus loves me or whatever it was. You never know what God will use, but people are hungry, hungry, hungry for being real. You don't have it all together, nor do I. But Jesus does, and he's, our, he's the one who we want to boast about. We're a work in progress. What would it be like that, to just know that? Instead of arguing, arguing about what you believe and what you don't believe. They're important, but sometimes people who argue don't know Jesus very well. You walk out of churches offended when you don't know Jesus very well. Jesus actually makes you someone who can't be offended too easily. Restoration. You know, my, the, to me, the biggest challenge we have with restoration is, yes, it's, it's wonderful to be embraced by Jesus, but it's also walking with Jesus. And when you start walking with Jesus, he starts changing your life. Because when you keep company with Jesus, he starts saying, you know, I don't do this. I don't do what you're doing right now because I, I love you. So your lifestyle needs to change. And you change your lifestyle because you start feeling him moving away when you don't trust him. And you know, we all have areas of trust. I mean, the easiest thing is to say, look, you, you've got to, if you don't get married and have a partner, you can't sleep with whoever's around. And it's easy to say, oh, we sh you shouldn't do that. And, and somebody comes back and says, but I just don't trust God with my singleness. I don't trust God with being alone. I'm tired of that. And we moralize over that person. And yes, Jesus does draw you into being committed in one relationship. But the one who's moralizing goes, but God could say to you, but you're not trusting me over your finances. You have an adulterous affair with your finances. You actually, they control you. Or you have an adulterous affair with the way that you want other people to like you. I'm just giving examples of how the, there's lots of things that God's still working on in our lives. And just because we happen to have this thing doesn't mean we're all together. We just learned maybe one thing, but we've got other things. That's why humility is so easy when we're honest. Because we just go, we're all learning how to walk with Jesus and trust him with everything. And restoration is... How do we get to the garden walking with Jesus, trusting God? And that's an ongoing journey. There was another amazing event that took place that I think is a great illustration of restoration. When they had the two days leadership workshop, a leadership conference in the Royal Albert Hall that I mentioned earlier. And they did some interviews and this next one is was a total surprise interview, uh, which I think is worth showing you. It's about, you couldn't get two different people, the man you're going to see now and the one that you've just seen. But God was working in both of them. So this is another clip of God restoring. Can you show it? This is Nikki Gunn. The last person I want to introduce you to is... Um, again, who I bumped into in, in the last uh, two or three days is um, 
I, I want to give you his full title. This will take a little bit of time, so be patient. Uh, he is Prince Philip Kirill of Prussia. His full name is Philip Kirill Friedrich Wilhelm Moritz Brozzi Tanko, Prince of P Prussia. He's the son of Prince Friedrich Wilhelm of Prussia, the grandson of Prince Ludwig Ferdinand of Prussia, and the Grand Duchess Kira Kirillovna of Russia, and the great-grandson of Crown Prince Wilhelm of Prussia, and the great-great-grandson of Kaiser Wilhelm, the last Kaiser, Kaiser Wilhelm of Germany and King of Prussia, and the great-great-great-grandson of Queen Victoria and Prince Albert. <laughs> So, so it's rather amazing. He's here at this conference. This place was built by Queen Victoria in honor of your great, 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 great grandfather. So uh, tell us, uh, what are you doing here? <laughs> I'm enjoying it very much. I, I love to be at Alpha and um, being part of Alpha. I love your great city of London. And of course, I love this building. What else could I do if, if my great, 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 and so on, grandparents built it? So. And you're here with your son? Yes, that's Paul William. Easier name. Hello. <laughs> He's a worship leader? Yeah, he is. You're and a pastor, you're a Lutheran pastor? Yes, that's true. And um, he, he introduced me to all these, oh, this is Matt Redman and this is Tim Hughes and so on. I, oh, great. Yes, I know the songs, but I didn't know who they look like. Yeah. So you've, you, run out, you have run Alpha in your parish? Uh, not in this parish, but when I was a learning uh, pastor, then I did. And... Um, I'm going, I'm bound to do it in my new parish, uh, too. And you're here with a specific purpose, aren't you? Yes. Um, it's not only this building which is moving me, besides Alpha, which is moving me much more, but um, you all know we are in, in the year 2014, which is 100 years um, since 1914. And in 1914 everything was kind of still fine um, between the big royal family England belonging to and, and the Germans belonging to all related my, my uh, great great grandson uh, grandfather was the f favorite grandson of, of Queen Victoria and uh, he was a believer but I guess he he, he wasn't true, in true friendship with Jesus. He, he didn't have his, his power of the Holy Spirit because actually he didn't want that, that war. But um, he wasn't strong enough to stand up against his generals and the politicians who said, well, this war is helpful and it's necessary. And we just sang... If our God is with us, then who could ever stop us? Um, who, who, could be, who could stand against? And I guess if, if he was driven by the Spirit of God, then he could have said, you can tell me what you want. I don't want this war. And here I stand. And you generals just go your way. And then it would have been fine. And so on, on my heart is to kind of um, ask you for forgiveness for what my <laughs> forefather did. 
um, the German people had to carry the price and there was much worse coming up when monarchy was gone. You know all of that. We don't have a history lesson now, but um, there has been much loss in, in, in Germany and throughout the world and would take too long to, to go through all this and ask for forgiveness, you, but you understood it right from my heart. But we have a God, and we, we heard it from Kay Warren, uh, who can do something with our runes. And I became a pastor because I have the strong hope that he can do something with the German people, who are, many of them are, are far from God. And um, I still have hope because we have a great God. And so please uh, pray for Germany whenever you think of them or of me and um, yeah, that's what I have on my heart. And Alpha will do a, a great job in Germany, too. Give me a hug. Give me a hug. And that came out of, like, nowhere. You know, nobody... That was a standing ovation. But I think it demonstrates the reach of God. You know, the reach of the Father's love, the reach of his passion, the reach of his uh, desire to see healing. You know, four generations later, forgive us. These things go deep, they go wide, but they always are rooted in human beings who are willing to actually make amends or say, I'm going to be restored, I want to live out of that place. And that's why Jesus went to the cross. That's why he rose from the dead. That's what people are thirsty for. For the hope through humility in people who are not lording it over everybody else. They're just going, it's the cliche, beggars where to find bread. I just found bread, share mine. And it started with that illustration of multiplication of pennies. If you take them and you multiply them. If everybody here just shares with others who Jesus is. And if you don't have something to share about Jesus, who Jesus is, then then, then press in until you do. And out of you will come things that other people are starving and are thirsty for. And we will see restoration. And you will have the privilege of actually seeing somebody who was lost found. But being found is not a notch on your belt. We're all still being found. I detest that stuff. I detest the sort of, I, I agree, the sort of conversion. It doesn't happen like that. Like the births we celebrate, you get born and then you grow and it's all about growing and ongoing growing. And I just think those were profound talks and people demonstrating what restoration looks like. It's far better in people than in a theory or a teaching, don't you think? And so you are the hope of the world. You are the light of the world. You don't need a thousand courses. You just need a heart that's beating with the love of Jesus. And so God's word, you know, I love that phrase that um, Charles used, which Charlie used, which was, um, I don't fit into the mold. Yes, you do. Because your behavior isn't the mold. Your humanness is the mold. So there's good news for everyone. Let's pray together. Let's ask God to make us well springs. Let's ask God you know, to, to restore us more deeply in our own walks with him. That phrase he used in the 
Bible we read says now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus. I think his version is much better out of the message. People from all kinds of walks of life, a motley crew, hung around Jesus. Let's stand. Father, I just ask your spirit right now to to, to breathe very deeply. Uh, You are already, but just go deep this morning. The Father wants to say to you, uh, is there anything that's keeping you away from me? Is there anything that you're withholding from me? Any skeleton or any fear? Because you don't need to. I already see it. And I'm not asking you to deal with that before you let me embrace you. I'm asking you to let me embrace you so that we can deal with it. So just invite you, if there's anything that you think God is frowning upon in your life, anything that you're aware of that you just go, this disqualifies me, just let him embrace you. Because he loves you with and without that. Now open your heart. Jesus, I welcome you. Thank you. I'm your prodigal. Thank you that you meet me where I am. See, everything in us that causes fear or lack of peace or any negative is a sign of our need for restoration. And we tend to feel accused by that, whereas God just uses it as a way to say, well, bring that to me and and we can work on that. It's not a condition. So, Father, I pray for your embrace to be felt in every heart here right now. You are my son, you are my daughter whom I love and whom I am well pleased. Receive his love, his forgiveness, his healing, his presence, his delight. His delight in you. If you need healing today, just tell him what you need. I had a few words as I asked God this morning. Somebody with a swollen ankle, a painful ankle that he wants to heal. You can grab onto anything, it could be something else, but... Just speak and release healing in this place as we share in the breaking of bread. We just release healing in Jesus' name.